Good morning and welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And, well, what a week it's been in the political world. And I think that, you know, a lot of us, uh, we know the headlines already. I think the question is, you know, what's behind the headlines? The question is, what what does it mean what do we what can we take away from some of these interesting political stories of the week uh but i do want to begin by just talking about a side note a little bit of a personal basis but something that's come, going on and possibly that many of us out there have forgotten about which is a resident of the Five Towns, resident of Lawrence, Joey Borgen, who in 2021 was savagely beaten right near Times Square by a pro-Palestinian mob that was, quote-unquote, protesting Israel's invasion of Gaza, using that as a pretext to attack an innocent Jewish person on the streets of New York City. And they beat him, one beat, One guy beat him with crutches, that is the subject of discussion today, but others beat them with their fists, with pepper spray, with mace, with all, everything at their disposal, it was all caught on video. And thankfully the NYPD caught them, and this... Uh, animal, uh, Wasim Awadla, boasted and bragged that he would do it again, that he had no regret for beating up Joey Borgen. They could have killed him. It's just amazing that this happened in the middle of New York City, in the middle of the week. And the wheels of justice grind slowly. So we're in 2023, we're not even at trial yet. And we found out that the Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, the famous for being and coddling criminals and for not enforcing the law, is considering a six-month sentence for this Wasim Awadla. Now, the guy has showed no remorse. The guy was celebrated coming out of the police precinct and put on the shoulders and they were clapping for him and he was celebrating his misdeeds. Is this a guy who should be walking the streets of New York that every Jewish person has to be nervous that he will be attacked because a guy like this shows such hate? These are hate crimes, pure and simple. Jews in New York City being attacked because they are Jews. It's not Paris. Not that it would be okay in Paris. But I guess it's something to some degree that the French Jews have had to live with. But that should not be the norm here in New York. So today, Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman and others are hosting a rally slash press conference slash just gathering of support of Joey Borgen. Because next week, there was an important hearing where the DA might, might have a plea deal with this character, with this guy with this pro-Palestinian activist, as if activism 
is somehow consistent with violence towards others because of their race or religion. And it's just tragic that this has happened. It's tragic we have to get there. But don't forget about this type of case. Don't forget about why it matters, why it matters to you, matters to your children, matters to your grandchildren, your neighbors, etc. If Joey Borgen can be a target on the streets of New York City, then so can you. And it's important to support him. So if you can, I know it's the middle of the day, 11 a.m., 1550 Franklin Avenue in Mineola, the Nassau County seat, in the offices of the county executive, beholding a rally there in support or a gathering or a press conference, whatever you want to call it, in support of Joey Borgen, in support of the rights of Jewish people to not be attacked. I know it's shocking that we have to say that we should have the right to walk the streets in peace. But sometimes you have to fight for that. And we have to show that we care. Because if they think that we don't care, then there'll be no deterrent. So what's going on in politics? What is going on in New York State right now with Kathy Hochul? I know we talked about this. We touched upon this. But in committee, meaning the Judiciary Committee of the State Senate, her nominee, Hector LaSalle, the first Latino pick for the chief judge of the state of New York, went down 10 to 9. And that was with getting all the Republican votes. Normally, you know, the party, so she got, most of the votes came for Hector LaSalle came from Republicans. And the funny thing is, according to the hearing, according to most of the Republicans, they didn't find him to be conservative enough. But then you have comments from the progressives like Jessica Ramos that we don't want a Republican. That that was the ultimate insult that we're going to call Hector LaSalle a Republican. But what what's the point? What is going on here with Albany? What's going on here with the governor's office? Presumably the governor has an immense amount of power. The governor does. If New York State has a tremendous amount of power over the budget, over legislation, over nominees, and we see that the Senate, and not even the entire Senate, it's the progressive wing of the state Senate. So it's a minority within the Democratic majority is saying that we will not, that we will only support progressive priorities. And what is the, what is the real sin here that they had is that they're angry, of course, about the redistricting that because they put forward a plan that was so egregious, so on its face, in violation of the New York State Constitution, on its face in violation of of referendum that they had put on just that past year, which failed. And then they wanted to pass a map that would essentially that would essentially preclude Republicans from being elected to office. And the Court of Appeals struck it down uh, as the appellate division. All the courts basically felt that this plan was wrong and violated the Constitution, violated the rules, but the progressives couldn't accept that. And so they went against the historic nomination of a Latino, the first Latino who would go there. And you have the moderate wing or the centrist wing of the party. I mean, even Hakeem Jeffries, the minority leader of the House of the House Democrats supported LaSalle. Nidia Velasquez and others, important politicians did, but that was not good enough for the progressives. They want somebody who doesn't buck the orthodoxy of 
the far left at any juncture at any time. And so they made sure um, they even packed the Judiciary Committee to make sure that the people they put on the Judiciary Committee, the extra members that they did, and this is a great power play, if you think about it, the extra members they put on there were all already declared that they were going to vote against LaSalle. So it was kind of preordained. Now the governor is coming back and she's saying, well, we're going to sue because you're required to have an up or down vote in the Senate, not the Judiciary Committee, but the whole Senate. Meaning of eyes consent actually means that the Senate itself needs to vote. And if the Senate doesn't vote, they haven't done their constitutional duty. We will see where that goes. But what we can learn from this is not dissimilar from what we can learn from what is going on in Washington, where rank and file members or the, or the far right or the far left in this case is exercising, wielding inordinate power to their numbers. I don't think most Americans are on the far, far right. I don't think most Americans are on the far far left. But you have progressives in the state of New York who feel, I mean, look at you know certain elections. There's no question that most of the electorate in New York was somewhere in the middle, right? Many, I mean, Lee Zeldin almost won. And that you know means that he grabbed a lot of Democrats who went ahead, who are traditional Democrats, who went, who went ahead and voted for him. And we know in many counties, the Votes that Lee Zeldin got exceeded the number of registered Republicans in that county. So therefore, it wasn't just about turning out Republicans. It was about people wanting a more moderate path. And if anything, Kathy Hochul is responding to that by trying to chart something that is more moderate, but the progressives won't have it. They feel that, okay, we won, even though you know, quite a few of their quite a few of their candidates lost. I mean, they lost a significant, every competitive congressional race because of, you know, bread and butter issues and crime issues and quality of life issues. But they still feel emboldened. The same way, to some degree, you see you see that the far right, the Freedom Caucus, even though far right Freedom Caucus type candidates lost around the country, right? Blake Masters lost in Arizona. Um, Carrie Lake was in, in, lost in Arizona. Doug Mastriano lost in Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz lost in Pennsylvania. The MAGA candidates, uh, Michigan, they lost. I mean, all these races, all these races, they, they, they lost. But yet, because the extremes of the party are now uh, choose to wield their power, because they stick to their own issues, and it's not necessarily about governing or compromise. It's about maintaining these political orthodoxies that they will under all circumstances, and they're willing to say no, and individual legislators are willing to stand up and not compromise and not make a deal, because as if making a deal is a dirty word that somehow we should come to agreement They are able to go against the leadership. Now, in this case, in the state Senate, it's not so clear because, of course, the leadership itself, and it's kind of unclear as to who runs the New York State Senate Democrats, whether it is, in fact, Andrea Stewart-Cousins or Mike Gianaris, her deputy, who seems the leader of the progressives, who as the leader came out against Hector LaSalle right away because, you know, what's what's more important than prejudging somebody before they even got a hearing or before you even meet with them? It's important to make sure that you've come to a conclusion before hearing the evidence in front of you. 
That's exactly right. That's what you would, you know, when you judge somebody, that's what you want out of a judge. But that's an aside. So it's kind of unclear. But look at what's going on in the U.S. House, where Kevin McCarthy now faces, well, not faces, but we'll get to an eventual crisis on the debt ceiling. Yes, he became speaker. Yes, he went ahead and co-opted much of his opposition to either vote president or to come. But they, uh, but he, at the same time, gave a lot of assignments to these holdout members, to many of them who are kind of from the no caucus, you know, call them the freedom caucus. It's more like the no caucus. We don't want anything. And they are unwilling to pass a raise in the debt ceiling. Now, the debt ceiling is one of those things that, yes, there's leverage in politics, but it's not about prospective spending. The debt ceiling is about things that have happened in the past. It's about paying the debt that you've already amassed, about the spending that you've already done. And the idea that the United States will not pay its obligations is morally, it's practically, it's unfathomable. You know, and some of them are throwing out there this idea, we'll pay some bills and not others. What does it mean to have the full faith and credit of the United States? Is it anything better than taking a dollar bill or a hundred dollar bill or $500 out of your pocket and knowing that it's worth something? We're supposed to know that it's worth something because otherwise everything falls apart because then why would I want money if it could all instantaneously be worth nothing? And if treasure, if the, if the, if financial instruments issued by the United States of America are no longer worth the the paper that they're written on, literally, meaning because the paper requires the United States to pay, well, then we're all in deep, deep trouble. But we see, you know, and, and a lot of people say, well, you know, this is a problem for Wall Street. It's not a problem for Main Street. Wrong. <laughs> it's a big problem for Main Street. It's a big problem for everybody who borrows money, for anybody who has money. You will see inflation. You will see interest rates soaring. Because there's something called a risk-free rate, which is the basic benchmark, what you borrow from the treasury. And if the treasury doesn't meet its obligations, then it's no longer risk-free. And therefore, everything else, every other borrowing cost goes up. And if the United States is no longer the reserve currency of the world, meaning that everybody holds dollars in order to do that, we will also see a plummeting of the dollar. Now, some in the, on the right seem to call this currency manipulation. I, I don't even know what they're talking about. I mean, it's not manipulation to want to have a stable currency, that the United States is tremendously advantaged by having the most stable currency in the world. It's just a fact. It's just an economic fact. There's no way around it. But we see that the far individual legislators, we see individual people wielding power in a way that is far, far, that they would never have been able to do in the past. Part of it is individual fundraising, that they're able to go out there and fundraise on their own. And donors are able, even small donors are able to, to donate to them so quickly. And that's a lot of their, you know, performative types of, of politicians. And they don't need the leadership as much in order to do that. If you can amass your own war chest, you don't need the leadership. So we see that. Kevin McCarthy, as Speaker of the House, should be in the driver's seat power-wise. We see that Kathy Hochul, who is the governor of the state of New York, should be in the driver's seat power-wise, and they're getting outplayed, and they're getting out, outmaneuvered. 
by rank and file members. And it's interesting. And I don't know what that means for politics. That's going to mean because it certainly is a little bit of upsetting the apple cart. It's certainly something a lot more unusual than what we've seen in the past. We It's unprecedented for a judge for the Court of Appeals to be turned down by the New York State Senate. And they're the same party. This is not this is Democrats and Republicans. These are Democrats versus Democrats. And in the U.S. House, it's Republicans versus Republicans. It's people in the same party. And God forbid that anybody should cross over and take support from the other party. God forbid that should happen because our politics no longer allows that. And that allows a lot less in the way of maneuvering. So just to close with another George Santos, because uh, this is the gift that keeps on giving, in a sense. Um, you know, it wasn't enough to say that you were Jewish when you were not. Not enough to say that your grandparents are Holocaust survivors or Holocaust refugees when they were not. It's not enough to talk about where you went to school and where you worked because they didn't happen. He said that his mother was inside one of the World Trade Center towers when they were attacked on September 11, 2001. Except for the fact that his mother, Fatima DeVolder, applied for a visa to enter the United States from Brazil in February 2003. And on that application, she stated that she had not been in the United States since 1999. Wow. George, I will say it's, it's just it's hard to believe that all these mistruths, half-truths, total deceptions can come from one person at the same time. But... Uh, look, we went through it last week as to how we can get away with it and how it happened. And uh, it's just one of those things that we, uh, all the people in the third district will have to stay tuned because it seems that right now that George Santos is not going anywhere. That's it for this week here on Spin Class, here on the Nakam Single Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week. Mm-hmm.